Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Huge story. Absolutely huge story today in the New York Times that is being, as far as I can tell, completely ignored by the electronic media that you need to know about. I predict this is going to be one of the principal issues on which the 2020 election, at least for president, turns. And that's trade. I got an email from Donald Trump. If you just tuned in, I've been telling this story for years now. Back in 2015, when Trump announced, I thought, okay, there's a freak show going on here. I want to get on this guy's mailing list. So I sent $5 to his campaign in the name of Fred Flintstone. I hope that's not a campaign finance crime. If it is, I plead guilty, I guess. I've been getting emails ever since addressed to Fred. And here's one of the most recent ones. Fred! China is cheating the system. Now, these emails are going out to tens of millions of Americans who have donated to the Trump campaign, right? Dirty bureaucrats in Washington have allowed China to take advantage of our great nation for far too long. We've been a piggy bank that everyone wants to raid and exploit. No more! Trump is taking long overdue action by standing up to China's unfair trade policies and defending America's intellectual property, something cheating Obama would never have done. President Trump is fighting for you, but as always, he wants to make sure he gets your input on this key issue. Please take our America versus China survey. And then, of course, you click on the survey and it immediately takes you to a page that asks you for money. Now, that's not the big story. The big story is what's kind of following that. And that is what Xi Jinping did yesterday and today in China that I'm not seeing any reference to at all, which is pretty mind-boggling. The Long March. If you talk to a person from China and you say Long March, that's like talking to an American and saying the Boston Tea Party. It's part of the foundation myth, the mythology. And it's not a myth, by the way. It actually happened. But I mean, I'm using the term in the, in the sociological slash political context. It's the foundation myth of modern China. And what it was, was in 1934, Mao Zedong and a bunch of communists, now at that point in time, the country, China, was occupied by, was controlled by Chiang Kai-shek, uh, the nationalists. 
And they started this literally 4,000 mile one year. They called it the Long March. People died on this march. And they started it in Jiangxi province. Okay, this is where the march started. And this is what kicked off the communist revolution in China. So that by 1949, they were able to actually drive Chiang Kai-shek out of China. He went to Taiwan and founded the modern country of Taiwan. And the communists took over China. So this is their founding myth, okay, or founding story, let's say. So Xi Jinping went to Jiangxi province. He went to the place where the Long March started. And he spoke at the site of the start of the Long March. This would be like somebody, this would be like an American president going to where the Boston Tea Party started at the, at the wharf in Boston. Or maybe, uh, you know, the Gettysburg, the Gettysburg Address. Although this is more, you know, a founding, but, you know, we kind of rebooted our country. In any case, he goes there and he says, now there is a new Long March. And we should make a new start. Those are, that's a verbatim quote from Xi Jinping, the president or whatever, you know, emperor of China. It was broadcast on state-run television on Tuesday. He told another audience in the same town in Jiangxi, this is from a piece by Alexander Stevenson in today's New York Times, the headline, China faces new long march as trade war intensifies, Xi Jinping says. On Wednesday, Mr. Xi told another audience in Jiangxi that the country, quote, must be conscious of the long-term and complex nature of various unfavorable factors at home and abroad and properly prepare for the various difficult situations. In other words, Xi is, t- is saying to his people, get ready, it's going to get tough. Now, they just had this disease that infects pigs. They've killed millions and millions of pigs or hogs or whatever in China to try to stop this disease. This is driving up pork prices. Their fruit prices have been going up in part because of wild weather in China. This is not something that's happening just in the United States. But they're blaming it all on us. And in fact, he went to a city, the city of Gangzhou, which is where there's a rare earth mine. Now, right now, China, rare earths are necessary to, to create computer chips and also to make solar panels. and. We used to have a major rare earth supply in California. There's a giant mine in California for rare earths, rare earth minerals. But the Chinese started producing rare earth minerals at literally below market prices, below the price that we could manufacture or that we could extract and refine them here in the United States. And so our mines all closed. So China's the world's supply of this stuff right now. Right? There's three principal places that supply it, China, Africa, and California. And I forget where in Africa they're mining it. I think it might be near the DRC. But in any case, the mines in Africa are increasingly being controlled by the Chinese through the Belt and Road Initiative. And he gave this speech in Gangzhou and said that, quote, we must intensify our efforts to develop rare earths. They are a strategic resource. So they're getting ready for a trade war. In fact, they declared one this morning. And they also notified Trump that there's no more trade talks. Sorry, no more trade talks. Now, what Donald Trump is going to do with this, mark my words, is he is going to run on this in 2020. This is probably going to soften, if not sink, our economy. 
Greg Sargent noted this was a, I don't know, a week or so ago, uh, May 13th. In the plumb line in the Washington Post, he noted that, uh, quote, Trump is staking re-election on one of his biggest lies. That is that China is paying us billions in, in tariffs. In point of fact, American companies or Chinese companies are paying the tariffs. And today, similarly, in the New York Times, you've got uh, Thomas Friedman, you know, the perpetually confused op-ed columnist, uh, saying China deserves Donald Trump. He says, we let China join the World Trade Organization in 2001. And uh, China grew by forcing technology transfers from U.S. companies, subsidizing its own companies, maintaining high tariffs, ignoring WTO rulings, and stealing intellectual property. Thomas Friedman goes on to say China under Xi announced a Made in China 2025 modernization plan, promising subsidies to make China's private and state-owned companies the world leaders in superconducting, artificial intelligence, new materials, 3D printing, facial recognition software, robotics, electric cars, autonomous vehicles, 5G wireless, and advanced microchips. Now, Friedman, of course, you know, the author of The Olive Tree versus the Lexus, which was a total crazy BS book, um, thinks that the solution to this is more free trade. But I'm telling you, the reason Sherrod Brown won re-election in Ohio the same year that Donald Trump became president, and Brown won re-election by six or eight points, and Trump won Ohio by a couple of points, the reason Sherrod Brown won is because he has been saying from the get-go, forever, we need a tariff-based protectionist trade system in the United States. We are the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a VAT tax. Other countries are using their VAT taxes as a functional tariff, and many of these countries actually literally have tariffs. So this is the situation that we're facing right now, is that basically we have to reboot our, our trade systems. I have been saying this on this program for 15 years. This whole embrace of so-called free trade back in the 90s was crazy. It was crazy. And it's coming home to roost. My humble opinion here is that the Democrats need to get ahead of Donald Trump on trade. And they need to be saying, yes, we need a protectionist trade policy, or at least we need a reciprocal trade policy. We've got all these other countries with VAT taxes that they're reducing their tax on export and they're imposing the tax on import. It's a functional tariff. China does that. All, all these countries are doing this. China actually still has tariffs. In fact, pretty much all these countries have tariffs. They're just very low. We're raising our tariffs, but there's a tariff-based system. There's the whole Buy America thing, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Trump revive the Buy America thing. And frankly, I think that the American people, this is the bet that Xi Jinping is making in China, that the Chinese people will endure a little bit of pain, or even a lot of pain for a couple of years, if it means making China independent and strong and basically the world superpower. And that's the direction they're heading economically anyway, and militarily as well, although they're not even close to us or Russia in terms of nuclear weaponry and things like that, but still. Xi Jinping is making that bet, and he's hunkering down. He's getting ready for the long haul. And Trump is making that bet and hunkering down. Expect to start seeing this play out. Now, the question is, is Trump smart enough and the people around him? Robert Lighthizer, his trade advisor, absolutely is. I, you know, I've talked with him. He's been on this show. A very knowledgeable guy. But is Trump smart enough to play this in a way that can win him the 2020 election? I think he may well be, because he's been talking about this since the 80s. This is one of the few topics 
Maybe he's been talking about it since the 70s, but, but I know that he's been talking about it since the 80s. This is one of the few topics on which Donald Trump actually understands what he's talking about, by and large. And the Democrats, you know, a number of the Democrats, these free trade Democrats, these Thomas Friedman Democrats, these DLC Democrats sit around and go, oh, well, you know, he's just naive, you know, and free trade is the way it's got to go. And you're just going to punish Americans because they're going to have to pay more for their iPhones if we make them here in the United States. Well, you know, why do, why do most other, you know, major industrial countries try to keep their manufacturing in their own country, like Germany, like China, like Japan? because they know it's the best thing for their country. So we'll see where this is going to go. Anyhow, Ed in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hey, Ed, what's up? Oh, you're absolutely right, Tom. I sent a letter to Trump a week ago telling him to raise the tariffs even higher. I'd love to see him bring the factories back to America. Yeah, and your voice, Ed, is being echoed, regardless of political party affiliation, all across America by working people. It's abs this, this is absolutely where the country is at and has been, by the way, I would say since 92. You know, Ross Perot won 20% of the, 19.5% of the vote in that election. And that was on a single issue, which is unheard of. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the United States. That's how much Americans understand and care about trade. They want to be able to walk into a store and buy American-made goods. They want to be able to have a decent job at a factory where we're making things in America. Yeah, that factory may have 30 people and 30 robots now instead of 60 people, like, you know, might have been the case in 1965. But still, 30 jobs are better than nothing. And when you've got a large enough industrial workforce, you create that critical threshold, that critical mass where you can actually have union, you know, unionization and union jobs. That's assuming that you take on the Republicans. The Republicans, of course, have, have been working since Reagan to destroy the unions. Actually, they've been working since 1947 with Taft-Hartley to destroy the unions. But yeah, spot on, Ed. You nailed it. And Ed, Ed and I usually disagree. <laughs> I think he's right. Brad in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind? Here's my thing. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but my point is, is that cat too far out of the bag in American uh, uh, addiction to cheap foreign-made goods? And what I mean by this is you have your whole coterie of companies your electronics companies, Apple, Walmart, Target, all of these big box retailers that have grown fat off of cheap foreign imports. Yep. The American diet being fed by these cheap foreign-made goods. We want more and more. When more. the godfather of free trade, Thomas Friedman, the guy who wrote The Olive Tree and the Lexus, which came up with this total BS theory that in the Middle East they were just growing olive trees, and so that's why they're having jihad and they're, and they're having wars and things like that. And whereas in Japan they focused on quality and manufacturing, and that's why they have the Lexus and free trade, when in fact... Japan protected their markets. In fact, back in the 50s and the 70s, they were protecting their domestic markets. They still do to this day. And the Lexus came about as a result of government subsidies, preferential treatment, government tax things. So Friedman has been wrong about trade forever. And in today's New York Times, he says, and I quote, Trump's instinct that America needs to rebalance its trade relationship with Beijing before China gets too big to compromise is correct. And it took a wrecking ball like Trump to get to China's attention. Now, that's the second paragraph of Thomas Friedman's piece in the New York Times today, basically admitting that he's been wrong for the last 20 years on trade. 
And he has been horribly wrong. I mean, he's been part of that whole DLC. Oh, yeah, those manufacturing jobs, those are the old dirty fingernails jobs. We don't want those jobs anymore. We want nice white-collar jobs. We want to work in cubicles instead of factories. We don't want anybody getting their fingers cut off anymore. Well, I'm sorry, you can work in a factory and not have your finger cut off and not even get your fingernails dirty anymore. But anyhow, Jeff in Olympia, Washington. Jeff, your thoughts? Uh, well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm 73 years old. I just retired, and I'm, I've been around the world, and I've seen a lot of—I lived in Malaysia, and I saw that country, after 10 years of independence, almost tear itself apart because the political parties— uh, had difficulties and and they they weren't dealing with it and it it has to do with giving people jobs right. period right and or and not necessarily don't... giving people jobs because that's what Franklin Roosevelt did with the CCC but it's more what the sales pitch from the DLC was we're going to seed the ground for new jobs new white collar jobs we'll be the software engineers to the world while they make the hardware over there in China and that was the lie but the pitch that Trump is making right now, essentially, and that, by the way, Sherrod Brown and other pro-regulated trade, fair trade Democrats, the entire progressive caucus, the, you know, the, I would say the majority of Democrats in Congress, the argument that they've been making is that government can till the soil for manufacturing in the United States, and those will be good jobs. Uh, forgive my interrupting you, Jeff. Continue your thought. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and if they don't get out ahead of this, and really start pushing for it. It's like one third of our middle class is just gone. Yeah. And it's been gone since we adopted these free trade policies. Jeff, spot yeah. on. Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. Don in Winfield, Indiana. Hey, Don, your thoughts? Hey, Tom, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? I had to pinch myself. Um, I could not believe that I hear you saying that something Donald Trump is doing is right. And you now need to, no matter what your hatred is for him, the Democratic Party needs to get out in front of him and adopt his policies that are working for this country. I'm a union member here and where I live, and I recently stood in front of our entire union body and told them, asked them what we were going to do in the upcoming election. Vote for a Democrat who promised to give us everything in the world and then stabbed us in the back, or vote for a man who said he wasn't going to give us anything and has given us more than we've had in my 40 years in the union. Okay. It's about so, Don, you're making my point. You're making my point. And, and my, and my point about Donald Trump specifically is that Trump is not doing this the right way. And Don, I hope you're listening carefully to this. Tradition, if you go back and you look at the history of tariffs in the United States, they were passed by Congress in 1793 in the George Washington administration. Congress passed laws to put tariffs in place. And Manufacturers in the United States knew what those tariffs were going to be, and they knew that they were going to be in place for decades. And so they built factories here rather than buying things from overseas. That was the whole point of it. Those tariffs stood until the 1990s. Now, Trump is right in saying we need a protectionist tariff-based trade system. Where he's wrong is not doing it with Congress. And frankly, I think he could do it with Congress, except I, I'm guessing, frankly, the Republicans in the Senate would be opposed to it. I mean, the Republicans are the Republican Party institutionally is the one that is opposed to tariffs and trade. The Democratic Party has been the party that's been traditionally in favor of this. I am strongly of the opinion that if tariffs are done right, if protectionist trade policies are done right, if we go back to the Buy America program that Franklin Roosevelt put into place, that we can rebuild American manufacturing, we can rebuild our middle class. 
And this has been the position of the Democratic Party all along. But as long as Trump is doing this by executive order, he's just saying, oh, I'm just making this order. That order is only going to last as long as the next election. And nobody's going to build a factory based on that. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And so the bottom line is that so far, Trump has not consequentially brought any jobs home outside of the steel industry. But, you know, this needs to be done. Hey, Louise and I have been using CBD for a couple of years now for basically pain relief and sleep. But we had been using CBD that also had some pot in it, I suppose, because of, you know, it's legal here in Oregon. Um, But now there's a CBD oil that's legal all over the United States. It's the best quality you can get. And it's derived from hemp, which is, you know, related to marijuana, but it's not marijuana. And so it's it's legal and it doesn't get you high. And but it does, you know, have these extraordinary properties of uh, pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. It's from New Leaf Naturals. NuleafNaturals.com is the website. Um, CBD oil, non-intoxicating, so it's ideal if you're looking for the health benefits of cannabinoids without, you know, getting high. This does not get you high. It's non-toxic and has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory uh, properties. And the, th- this is the brand that, that Louise and I trust and use, New Leaf, NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals, the highest quality concentrated CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States. And as I said, the only ingredient is hemp, so it's totally pure and simple and legal. So go to newleafnaturals.com, N-U-Leafnaturals.com, to save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get 30% off. And if you're the first person to tweet me, the newleafnaturals.com website, I'll send you a free bottle of New Leaf Natural CBD oil. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We are reading from the Mueller report. This is a, starting at the beginning, part one. This is page 32. And they're talking about the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, which is the Russian troll farm in St. Petersburg. In February 2017, the persona Black Fist, purporting to want to teach African-Americans to protect themselves when contacted by law enforcement, hired a self-defense instructor in New York to offer classes sponsored by Black Fist. Black Fist was actually from the IRA. The IRA also recruited moderators of conservative social media groups to promote IRA-generated content, as well as recruited individuals to perform political acts, such as walking around New York City dressed up as Santa Claus with a Trump mask. And there's a whole bunch of redacted stuff. Uh, Redacted, as the IRA's online audience became larger, the IRA tracked U.S. persons with whom they communicated and had successfully tasked with tasks ranging from organizing rallies to taking pictures with certain political messages. Page 33. The top half of the page is redacted. Number seven. Interactions and contacts with the Trump campaign. The investigation identified two different forms of connections between the IRA and members of the Trump campaign. The investigation identified no similar connections between the IRA and the Clinton campaign. First, on multiple occasions, members and surrogates of the Trump campaign promoted, typically by linking, retweeting, or similar methods of posting, uh, reposting, pro-Trump or anti-Clinton content published by the IRA through IRA-controlled social media accounts. 
Additionally, in a few instances, IRA employees represented themselves as U.S. persons to communicate with members of the Trump campaign in an effort to seek assistance and coordination on IRA-organized political rallies inside the United States. Uh, subtopic A, Trump campaign promotion of IRA political materials. Among the U.S., quote, leaders of public opinion, end quote, targeted by the IRA were various members and surrogates of the Trump campaign. In total, Trump campaign affiliates promoted dozens of tweets, posts, and other political content created by the IRA. Posts from the IRA-controlled Twitter account, at 10 underscore GOP, were cited or retweeted by multiple Trump campaign officials and surrogates, including Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Kellyanne Conway, Brad Parscale, and Michael Flynn. These posts included allegations of voter fraud, as well as allegations that Secretary Clinton had mishandled classified information. On November 7, 2016, a post from the IRA-controlled Twitter account Pamela underscore Moore 13 was retweeted by Donald Trump Jr. On September 19, 2017, President Trump's personal account, at RealDonaldTrump, responded to a tweet from the IRA-controlled account at 10 underscore GOP, the backup account of at 10 underscore GOP, T-E-N, this is not one zero, which had already been deactivated by Twitter. The tweet read, we love you, Mr. President. IRA employees monitored the reaction of the Trump campaign and later Trump administration officials to their tweets. For example, on August 23, 2016, the IRA-controlled persona Matt Skyber Facebook account sent a message to AUST party activists writing that, quote, Mr. Trump posted about our event in Miami. This is great, end quote. The IRA employee included a screenshot of candidate Trump's Facebook account, which included a post about the August 20, 2016 political rallies organized by the IRA out of St. Petersburg. Page 35, the top little bit of the page is redacted. It follows B, contact with Trump campaign officials in connection to rallies. Starting in June 2016, the IRA contacted different U.S. persons affiliated with the Trump campaign in an effort to coordinate pro-Trump organized rallies inside the United States. In all cases, the IRA contacted the campaign while claiming to be U.S. political activists working on behalf of a conservative grassroots organization. The IRA's contacts included requests for signs and other materials to use at rallies, as well as requests to promote the rallies and help coordinate logistics. While certain campaign volunteers agreed to provide the requested material, page 36, Item number three, Russian hacking and dumping operations. Beginning in March 2016, units of the Russian Federation's main intelligence directorate of the general staff, the GRU, hacked the computers and email accounts of organizations, employees, and volunteers supporting the Clinton campaign, including the email account of campaign chairman John Podesta. Starting in April 2016, the GRU hacked into the computer networks of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, and the Democratic National Committee, the DNC. The GRU targeted hundreds of email accounts used by Clinton campaign employees, advisors, and volunteers. It's the Mueller Report. Tom Harbin here with you. Here's the other thing about trade that A, Trump is doing wrong, and B, we need to be talking about. Donald Trump is the master of spectacle, right? I mean, he's all about spectacle. So what he's doing is, I'm going to have a trade war with China, and we're going to go over there and kick their butts. And it's going to be tough. You know, we're going to have to bail out our soybean farmers, but we're going to do it. And Xi Jinping over in China is saying, oh, we're going to have the new great long march forward or whatever it was called. And this is going to be our 
21st century, and we're going to have to go through a tough time with America. So both of these guys, Trump and Xi, are solidifying their domestic political base by talking about a trade war. But Xi is actually serious about this. His Belt and Road Initiative, they're inhaling the planet for their own manufacturing base. They're going to make goods for the whole world. And they've even got, you know, Italy and Greece going along. I mean, they've got a foothold in Europe now. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is not doing this. Here's the point. You've got cheap stuff being made in China right now that's being sold in Walmart and every place else. Donald Trump puts tariffs on Chinese goods. The price starts going up. What's Walmart going to do? Do you think they're going to start looking for American manufacturers? No. They're going to look for Malaysian manufacturers. They're going to look for Indonesian manufacturers. They're going to look for Indian manufacturers. They're going to look for Sri Lankan manufacturers. They're going to look for Taiwanese manufacturers. They're going to look for South Korean manufacturers. If Donald Trump can get his deal going with Kim, they'll look for North Korean manufacturers, which is what China is doing right now. In other words, you know, Trump is not committed to building America through trade. Trump is committed to having a spectacle that he can get reelected with using the rubric of trade, using the gimmick of trade. And the Democrats need to step up and say, this is a real issue that we need to take on. We need to have a national trade policy. We haven't had one, frankly, since the 80s. As, as I said a, a little bit ago, when Reagan came into office, the United States was the largest creditor to the world. More countries owed us money than anybody else. We were the largest exporter of, of finished goods. We manufactured televisions and cars and washing machines, and we sold them all over the world. And we were the largest importer of raw materials. We imported bauxite to make aluminum. We imported iron ore to make steel. We imported stuff, and we manufactured things here. That was when Reagan came into office in 1981. By the time his vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, left office 12 years later, as a result of Reagan's trade policies, this did not start with Bill Clinton. As a result of Reagan's trade policies, 12 years later, the United States had become the largest debtor in the world rather than the largest creditor. We had become the largest importer of finished goods and the largest exporter of raw materials, particularly iron ore, wood products, and uh, there are a few other things that we were exporting. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Jennifer in Stillwater, Minnesota, listening to AM 950. Hey, Jennifer, what's up? Hi, yeah, I just wanted to say that, um, yeah, Billy Joel's song, Allentown, about the Pennsylvania steel mills, mm -hmm. he wrote that in 1982. Yep. And I'm a child of the 80s, and I remember all of that, even though in Minnesota we don't have much of that. But this has gone on for so long. And, I mean, Reagan, you know, got NAFTA negotiated and through Canada. Then Poppy Bush got it through with Mexico. Then Newt Gingrich got it through Congress. And then Bill Clinton cheerleaded and he signed it. And what people really need to understand is that the neoliberals are in both parties. And it's the entire Republican Party mostly. And it's, I don't know, a large percentage of the Democrats. And what you need to do is you've got to vote in the Democratic primaries. You've got to vote for the FDR progressives. And that's the whole key. And, you know, Bernie... You know, Trump is going to win. You're right, because Bernie ran on this the first time, and he was against the TPP, and he ran against the TPP 
And, you know, of course, Obama and Hillary as Secretary of State, they were for the TPP, which is... The and I think that's one of the reasons why Bernie wiped out Hillary Clinton in Michigan and, and West Virginia and several other states, too. I don't remember exactly which ones he did, you know, super well. I, I, Pennsylvania, as I recall. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Jennifer. But the, and, the, and this is not just, by the way, about Bernie. The Progressive Caucus has been in favor of fair trade forever. This should become one of the issues that is being discussed in our Democratic primaries. Jennifer, thank you for the call. Richard in Bell, Bellflower California. Hey, Richard, what's up? Tom, just uh, a couple weeks ago, I read an article in the LA Times, and the Chinese leadership was reminding the people how the Western countries took advantage of all the Chinese people and the government and made them sign all these ridiculous treaties for unbelievable trade. The English government was importing heroin to destroy the Chinese. It was people. actually opium. It was in the 1890s and the and the war I'm that sorry, they had, opium. which lasted almost a decade, as I recall, and ended in, in a, as I recall, in 1899, was called the Opium Wars. And that's what and what and England won those wars. They won the right to continue importing opium into into China, much to the chagrin of the Chinese. And the the land that they took in that war was Hong Kong, and that's why they had a 99 year lease on Hong Kong. They had to give it back in 2000. What was the Boxer? The Boxer Rebellion, yeah. Okay, they are reminding the Chinese people of what could happen to them. Yeah, and no, I absolutely. And, right. and, and this is this is the speech that Xi gave this morning and gave yesterday afternoon that was carried nationwide on state television. The Chinese are hunkering down. They're getting ready for hard times. They're going to play hardball. They're going to be fighting with us, and they're going to be causing a lot of pain in the United States. And Donald Trump is going to be out there saying, yes, we're experiencing pain, but my fellow Americans, hang in there with me because at the end of the, you know, there's light at the end of this tunnel. We're going to start rebuilding America. And a lot of Americans, and I think uh, capital L-O-T of Americans, many Americans, are going to absolutely buy that if the Democratic Party doesn't get a good, solid, fair trade policy. And we've had them. I mean, you know, we've, we've proposed fair trade, but, you know, it, it, we need to get a consensus across the party, Richard. Yeah, we, we've been sold up both ways. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't blame the Chinese people for fighting, but it wasn't our fault. It was the corporation's fault for yeah. And somebody somebody made a point on Twitter, by the way, they said you've got to distinguish between trade and the arbitrage of labor. And I think that that's a really important one. You know, uh, our selling soybeans to China or China selling oil to the United States, raw materials, basically, that's trade. But when an American company that used to manufacture something in the United States manufactures something in China instead because the labor's cheaper, that's not trade. That's arbitrage of labor. That, that is basically moving your labor overseas. And that's what we need to put an end to. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And the Democrats need to get ahead of this train because it's coming. Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. 
You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. So if we do a Green New Deal and if we do it right... It could be a great thing for America. I mean, back back in the 1930s, Franklin Roosevelt, I think it was 1935, passed a law called the Buy America Act, which is still in place. And the Buy America Act says that when the federal government buys anything, I mean, you know, desks, computers, chairs, uh, you know, concrete, whatever, when they buy anything, they have to source it from an American company. Now, the Buy America Act from 1935 had waivers, specific waivers in it that said the executive branch, the president, can grant a waiver uh, to this law to, you know, uh, to, to purchase things from overseas that are not available here in the United States. I mean, if, uh, if Congress uh, if, or if some federal agency decided that it needed a... Uh, uh, you know, I love teakwood right? <laughs> or, or sandalwood desk, you know, from Thailand. Um, you're not going to buy that anywhere in the United States. So you get a waiver. Well, Reagan st- started just issuing these waivers like they were wallpaper, right? Just, just cranking them out. And every president since Reagan has been cranking out these waivers so that the U.S. government, including the military, are buying all kinds of stuff from overseas. And therefore, our stimulus, for example, back in 2008... Uh, 2009, that stimulus stimulated China as much as it stimulated us because, you know, we bought a bunch of stuff, we spent a bunch of federal dollars, but that those federal dollars then ended up in China. So if we do this right, if the Green New Deal is done right, then the jobs would stay here. If it's done wrong, the jobs go to China. If it's done right, the money stays here. If it's done wrong, the money goes to China. If it's done right, the technology, the raw earth materials, the rare earth minerals will reopen our rare earth mine in California, all those kinds of things, it would stay here. And it could be a real boon for the United States. As I said, Trump, I believe, is gonna run for re-election on trade. I think this is going to be his big issue. I think they've been quietly setting this thing up, and they are watching the Democrats all run around like, like, like chickens talking about how wonderful free trade is, knowing that the average American voter doesn't think free trade is any kind of a good deal at all. And yeah, the, you know, I can buy lots of cheap crap at, at Walmart, but I would much rather have a good-paying job and pay a little bit more for stuff well-made in the United States that lasts more than six months. I'm, this is not the weird eccentric opinion of some you know, left-wing talk show host. This is where America is at. And Donald Trump and, the Republic, and, and some of the Republicans know it. Donald Trump in particular knows it. The Republican Party has been gung-ho for free trade ever since Nixon. Right? The Democratic Party jumped on that bandwagon in 1992. But American working people know that it, it is a sham. It is a, in fact, it's a scam. Mick in Bothell, Washington. Hey, Mick, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. Really like your show. Um, but? like to listen <laughs> every day. No, no, okay. but. I, I, right. I really do like this conversation you're having. And you got me thinking about this quite a bit. And, yes, as a Democrat, you know, what are we going to come back with? Well, the thought I had since I live up, in the Pacific Northwest, and our governor is the environmental candidate, that somehow what we need to do, because we 
have all this smarts and we have all this wonderful science that somehow if we can figure out to bring manufacturing back, yeah, that's great. But I think Trump looks at this and says, yeah, let's get this manufacturing going again because we're going to need coal. We're going to need a lot of power in this country. And so I'm afraid that since he is this, you know, giant baby with a machine gun that just goes around and blasts everything and finally something, you know, is going to hit. Well, yeah, the Democrats do need to be smarter and they need to tie this somehow to uh, the environment. And yeah. how can we come up with the There's a very straightforward energy. way to do it, Mick. In fact, I, I was yeah. assuming as you were talking that this is where you were going. And that's the Green New yeah. Deal. If the yeah. Green New Deal is done along the lines of Franklin Roosevelt's 1935 Buy America Act, where it says, yes, we're going to, the United States government is going to borrow or tax, whatever, raise a trillion bucks or $2 trillion, whatever it may be, and we're going to use that to solarize every house in America and winterize homes and insulate things and build out an electric car infrastructure and all this kind of stuff. If we're going to do that, all of the materials that are paid for with tax dollars or that are subsidized with tax breaks or tax cuts have to be manufactured in the United States. Very straightforward. I mean, we're not going to pass out waivers like Reagan did on Franklin Roosevelt's Buy America Act. And then right. the new Green New Deal would be the key to this whole thing, Mick. It wouldn't be bringing jobs back home. It would be creating jobs, indigenous jobs, right here in the United States. You know, yes, we're going to create, right now we've got the demand for, let's say, you know, a million solar panels a month. We're going to turn that into the demand for 30 million solar panels a month. And by the way, none of that money that's going to pay for those solar panels will pay for any solar panels that aren't made in the United States. Boom, you got factories being built tomorrow morning. Absolutely. And if Trump wants to keep going this route, and I think somebody on your show mentioned, well, let's just start calling this the Trump tax. Yeah. You know, call his bluff. I mean, yeah. what the heck? It's just like you said. With Well, there's two ways to attack him. One is to attack the whole idea of tariffs, which is what the Democrats who've been attacking him on trade have been doing. And that's shooting yeah. yourself in the foot because American workers yeah. know that tariffs work. The way that you need to attack him on trade and tariffs is to say he's doing this stupid. He's doing it by executive <laughs> order, which is not going to cause anybody to build a factory because executive orders expire at the end of his term where they can. They can be replaced by the next president. You need to do it legislatively. You need to pass it through Congress. And that's the Green New Deal, among other things. Mick, thanks for the call. Spot on. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com. And Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News okay. is on the line. Thank you. So I was going to start with the president and what he did with the Democrats and the Rose Guard, but we just heard that New York passed and it now is going to be signed by the governor because, of course, he's a Democrat. Uh, the tax documents will be released. His New York tax documents, this is Trump's New York tax doc documents, will be released to Congress. Now, it's expected that a state tax, tax document does mirror your federal, so we'll be able to find out exactly what was probably in the federal. And that was just passed by the legislature just a few minutes ago. Well, Cuomo has said he's going to sign that, right? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> right. So the president then made a statement in the Rose Garden. Now, what was really interesting is yesterday he said that he was going to, he sent out a letter to Pelosi and to Schumer saying that they needed to uh, agree to the new uh, NAFTA deal, which I always called NAFTA-SHAFTA. Right. But anyway, 
And, uh, and you know, I mean, the stop clock is right twice a day. He was right about changing that. But then he basically walked out of the meeting and he basically said, hey, listen, uh, there is there's no way we're going to continue as long as you continue to go after me. Um, and then he went to the Rose Garden where he had a meeting with the press and he said he had signs up saying no collusion, $25 million spent. And then he gave out a one page sheet that showed all the money that was being spent and on the Mueller investigation. So, yeah, that's right. And then he says, well, he has the most transparent uh, administration that's ever been held. I mean, right. give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see where apparently over at Deutsche Bank, one of their employees has changed his name to Software Glitch? There's a front page article in the Financial Times today about how Deutsche Bank has determined that the failure to turn over evidence of money laundering, criminal money laundering operations happening with Trump accounts and Kushner accounts in 2016 and 2017, the failure to turn that over to the Treasury Department as required by law was the result of, quote, a software glitch. Well, you know, what's interesting is Donald Trump Jr. now has a book contract, and he said he's going to write his viewpoints. Okay, right. fine. Let's see what he says, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Should be interesting. Yep. All right. Women in Congress. 23% of the women are in Congress, but now we know that they are actually not only are women hiring staff, women in staff position, but so are the men, and they're getting higher up. So women are making a major difference in Congress. That's good news. That is good news. And also, what we do know is that the House Intelligence Committee has asked for the Justice Departments for the underlying documents. They've come up with an agreement uh, with the Attorney General. So that's very good news. It's Adam Schiff, who's head of uh, the House Intelligence Committee. Also, we do know that you were talking about the Green New Deal. Well, Senator Markey actually came up with what he considers to be part of the new Green New Deal. And it's very long, but I'll just go over some of the high points. He wants to have clean energy. He wants to clean up the energy grid. He wants to make an expanded mass transportation changes. Mm-hmm. He wants to factor in climate change. And he wants to lower emissions at airports. That's all great. I mean, and, and if it's being done with Made in America products, it's even better. Right. Well, that's what I think he's after. And, of course, Senator Markey's from Massachusetts, Yeah, the great state of Massachusetts. Yeah, Ellen, you know everybody, right? I mean, you've been around politics and you've been around the press for a long time and you, and you know these folks and you grew up in Ohio. You've lived in Washington, D.C. for years. And then I lived in Massachusetts for 22 years. <laughs> there you go. And you understand trade. I mean, you and I have been talking about NAFTA shaft on this program for 15 years. And you understand that Sherrod Brown got reelected in Ohio because he's in favor of fair trade and he's opposed to free trade. But what's your sense of what percentage of the Democrats in Congress who would support Sherrod Brown's fair trade position, in other words, having protectionist trade policy, as opposed to, you know, the old DLC free trade position? Well, I don't know, but I would expect that Sherrod Brown has actually done very well, and he's gotten a lot of people behind him. So I actually think that his trade deal would go forward. I really do. Yeah. I'm very concerned because Trump is sending out emails now saying, I'm going to take down China on your behalf. And President Xi, yesterday afternoon, basically declared the end of uh, trade negotiations with the U.S. and the beginning of hard times for China. They're buckling in. And well, you know, they have the support of their 
people because what else are people going to do? Right. And they've got state-run media. I mean, it's like the, the only right. thing available in China is the Chinese version of Fox News. So, right. <laughs> amazing. Ellen Renner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Great talking with you. We'll be back. By the way, I was right when I wrote the crash in 2016. I got to tell you about that right after this. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I wrote this book back in 20, 2012, 2013. I pitched this book to Hachette, uh, you know, the crash of 2016. My idea was just to call it the crash, but you know, whatever. And they went, well, well, when do you think this is going to happen? Well, I think it's going to happen around 2016. And basically the premise of the book was that the economy that we have right now, post-Bush crash, post the, you know, the great Bush recession of 2008, 2009, you know, where we were losing literally 700,000 jobs a month as the economy was just going into a free fall. The point that I made in the book is that, number one, that was fairly predictable, and it was the predictable consequence of basically a takeover, not just of our economy, but of our politics, by a relatively small group of very, very wealthy people. And they not only took over politics to lower their own taxes, but they also took over politics in ways that would benefit their own industries, that would be monopoly friendly. You know, in fact, this happened in the late 70s, you know, as a consequence of very, very aggressive efforts by Robert Bork, of all people who was promoting the idea that the, you know, monopoly is just fine. And the Supreme Court adopted his perspective on this, and Reagan was the first president to say, I'm not going to enforce the monopoly laws any, or the anti-monopoly laws anymore. You know, Jimmy Carter finalized the, the breakup of AT&T, which actually increased shareholder value, by the way. If you held AT&T stock before it got broken up, and afterwards you ended up with stock in the six baby bell companies plus uh, Lucian Technologies, what used to be called Bell Labs, Afterwards, you ended up with seven shares. You actually made money on the breakup of AT&T, which is very, very common. So when the billionaires took over, you know, with a little help from the Supreme Court with the Buckley decision in 76 and whatnot, they reconfigured our economy so that our economy is now running. You know, I argued back in, in 2010, 2011, 2012, when I was writing this book, um, I th I'm pretty sure the book came out in 2012 or 2013 that 
probably within a decade, by 2016 or, or you know, a few years thereafter, you were going to see the exact same cycle repeated that you saw in 2008. It probably wouldn't be driven by, by housing. It would be driven by something else, some other place where the banksters are gambling. But they're going to continue gambling because our economy has been converted as a consequence of 40 years of Reaganism. Our economy has been converted from an economy that was based on manufacturing with a healthy service sector, but the core of it was based on manufacturing, into an economy that is based on finance, on buying and selling money, on buying and selling financial interests, on loaning money to people and charging interest. Now, this is no way to build an economy. If you go back and read A Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith's famous 1776 tome, and by the way, if you're inclined to read Wealth of Nations, please also read A Theory of Moral Sentiments, the other book that Adam Smith wrote, which frankly is a more important book than Wealth of Nations. But because Wealth of Nations has that one phrase in there where it talks about the invisible hand, which by the way is in the kind and the, the, that sentence begins with, by preferring domestic manufacture, or the products of domestic manufacturing, the, the, the business person is guided by the invisible hand, blah, blah, blah. That part always gets dropped off, right? I mean, he was talking about the importance of protecting your domestic industries. But in any case, you, you read Addison's Wealth of the Nations, and he makes it very clear. What is the wealth of nations? It's what they make. Your nation is worth the total of all the things it has made. The example that Adam Smith uses in Wealth of Nations is, a, is an axe, an axe handle. You know, if you've got a, a tree branch, a limb from a tree laying on the ground, got knocked down in a windstorm or fell off because it's dead or whatever, laying on the ground, that does not contribute any wealth to your nation. It's just a tree limb on the ground. But if you take that tree limb and you apply human labor to it, you take a knife and you carve it very carefully into the shape of an axe handle, you have now manufactured an axe handle that actually does have a value. It's worth, say, $30. And that $30 is wealth. The entire country is now $30 richer because you manufactured the axe handle, regardless of what you do with it. Whether you keep it yourself, whether you use it yourself, whether you sell it to somebody else, the country is richer by 30 bucks because you manufactured an axe handle out of a dead limb out of a dead tree. So when we used to take iron ore, you know, raw materials, iron ore and trees, and to turn them into televisions and TV cabinets, turn them into cars, we would take oil and convert it into plastic and, and make seats for the cars. We, you know, when we used to manufacture things in the United States, convert raw materials into finished products, we became rich. That's how the United States got wealthy, was by making things. So then Reaganism comes along and says, oh, that's the old-fashioned way. That's, that's, that's crazy. And ask anybody who grew up in any of the big manufacturing towns around the United States who's old enough to remember the late 70s and through the 80s. When Reagan came into office and started really aggressively instituting these policies and practices, what happened? Jobs got wiped out, just absolutely wiped out. And as a consequence of that, we have become poorer. 
Now, I, you know, I mean, the net wealth of our country has continued to increase. Obviously, our population has grown, and we still manufacture things, so we're still making things. But as a as a percentage of our population, as a, you know, the rate of the rate of growth of wealth, real wealth. I'm not talking about how much money Bill Gates is sitting on. I'm talking real wealth, the wealth of our nation, the stuff that we have made. The rate of that growth has dr has slowed dramatically, and has been replaced by growth in, hey, I'll sell you an insurance policy, and when I die, you'll pay that to my family. And isn't that cool? Or, hey, take this credit card and pay me 27% interest. And use that money, you know, use that credit to buy junk from China. Or any other country in the world, but not manufactured in the United States. I mean, try to find things made in the United States, right? It's, unless you're a defense contractor, that's 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 most you know the, the major manufacturing in this country now is either cars or it's or it's tanks and bombs and and you know F-35s and I mean you know fill in the blanks right so so anyhow so what I was suggesting was that the growth that we were seeing in our economy post 2008 would not last that that growth was the direct consequence the exact consequence of of government basically government stimulation that the fed had had literally created out of thin air over 20 trillion dollars in money in 2008 2009 that they poured into the financial system our fed was bailing out overseas billionaires our fed was bailing out overseas banks our fed bailed out of course our banks and the banksters, what they do? They gave themselves multi-million dollar bonuses with that money from our Fed. They took it and ran. But did we reconfigure our economy so that we were going back to, you know, Adam Smith, you know, kind of 101 to going back to manufacturing things? No. We have, we have a, an economy now that's entirely financialized. And in my opinion, the only thing that's been holding it together is the fact that the Fed has been keeping interest rates super low. In Europe, the European Central Bank is still in negative interest rates. I mean, there's literally no place they can go if there's a, if there's a, a Great Depression. Europe is screwed. And we're at, you know, 1% and change, 2% in, in the neighborhood of 2%. That's not much room. So now comes this story. This, this, is, the funny, this, is, this is the punchline for the whole thing. This is from Reuters. And it was published a few days ago. I don't have the date on it. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I printed this out a few days ago and set it aside thinking, you know, I'm going to do this rant. I'll just read you parts of the article. U.S. growth appears to be based exclusively, and the exclusively is in quotes, on government, corporate, and mortgage debt. And the economy would have contracted if the United States had not added trillions in debt. Now, this is according to the CEO of Double Line Capital. Double Line Capital is a, a company that is sitting on $130 billion of investor money. So this guy isn't just, you know, some kid on Wall Street. He manages $130 billion. And here's what he said. His, his, his name is Jeffrey Gundlach. 
or Gundlach, I'm not sure how to, you know, that would be the German pronunciation. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. Anyhow, he said, and I quote, nominal G GDP growth over the past five years, which would take us back to 2014, right? Not, not tw even 2016. Nominal GDP growth over the last five years would have been negative if U.S. public debt had not increased. One thing everybody seems to miss when they look at these GDP numbers, they seem to not understand that the growth in GDP looks pretty good on the screen, is really based exclusively on debt, government debt and also corporate debt, and now even some growth in mortgage debt. And I would add to that credit card debt. Credit card debt is now over a trillion and a half dollars in the United States. Student loan debt is over a trillion and a half dollars in the United States. Um, you got car debt now exploding. And by the way, the banks are starting to, to, to tranche these kinds of debts. They're taking, they're taking student loans, they're taking car loans, and they're slicing and dicing them just like they did home mortgages back in, in the two, early 2000s and turning them into collateralized debt obligations, CDOs, and selling those things in the gray market. And the gray market is now a multi-trillion dollar market and it's unregulated banking. It's the masters of the universe, the billionaires making, you know, and it's a multi-trillion dollar market, making, making money hand over fist. None of it is being made manufacturing anything. You get how dangerous this is? If the U.S. Treasury, now back to this, uh, back to the article by Reuters, if the U.S. Treasury had avoided increasing its debt, the non nominal GDP would have been negative in three of the last five years. Quote, even with all the exact mortgage, corporate, and student loan growth that occurred, end quote, Gundlach told Reuters. Three of the last five years? Let's see, three years ago was 2016. What was my book, The Crash of 2016? Yeah, if, if the government had not intervened, if the U.S. Treasury had not increased its debt load, we would have slid into a recession in 2016. He notes nominal GDP rose by 4.3%, but total public debt rose by 4.7%. He says against this debt backdrop, financial markets are, quote, addicted to Federal Reserve stimulus and quote, these are very, very dangerous times, said Gunlock, who oversees more than $130 billion in assets at Double Line Capital. So hang on tight. And I was right. <laughs> and the book is no longer in print, by the way, but you can find used copies around. But I think you'll find it fascinating. Not here to pitch the book, Crash of 2016, just, just the idea. We need to return to making things of value in this country. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. What a fascinating day. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And don't forget, in the meantime, democracy is not a spectator sport. It's not something to take for granted either. It can be gone in, a, in an instant. So it requires all of us to make it work. So please, get out there, get active, tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.